Choose life, choose a sport, choose a drop zone, choose a start time, choose a fucking big jump plane, choose turbine engines, speed, unlimited altitude and endless horizons. Choose height, no low turns and travel insurance. Choose jump tickets, choose tiny action cameras, choose your mates, choose a rig and matching helmet, choose swoop shorts and a range of fucking fabrics, choose 120 vertical speed and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch, watching debriefs, spirit-saving slow-mos, smashing beers after last load. Choose standing on the podium at the end of it all. Choose a win you'll love every time. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you fly NZ Aerosports? Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe... There's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports, fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust, like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot, the Crossfire 3 when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch, the JFX 2 if you're looking to up your new swoop game, the Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy, specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So the equipment is top of the line kick-ass stuff as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. Hell, they've even got a special offer for all you Lunatic listeners out there. Just head to pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void. That's pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void and follow the instructions to register a website account with them. You'll score a discount voucher with 20 bucks towards any purchase over $200. I mean, come on, 
You know you're going to shop with NZ Aerosports, so grab a little extra cash towards that buy and enjoy. The offer is good until the 31st of December, and the voucher is good for three months, so go register now. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe. And when I found out I was going to have this guest on, I I literally can't wrap my head around the number of stories going back pretty much my entire skydiving career. So jump straight into it. Who the fuck are you and what do you do? My name is Brian Moeller. I'm a guest semi-retired tandem instructor. Semi-retired, I'm going to do about 800 to 900 tandems a year now. Uh, family man. Husband, wife, not wife, father, husband, father. Awesome. Operating engineer. Yeah. So you, you, your part-time tandem instructor is still eight or 900 tandems a year. Yeah. I, I jump now five days a week. Uh, I work a, my real job is I work a graveyard shift at a hotel maintenance. I get off at seven. I go and make a few jumps. I'm usually home by noon or one o'clock. Damn. Uh, depending on the day, we can get one or two done. Or with Eddie, with, with Eddie Carroll, we could do about twelve loads before noon. <laughs> right. And uh, and be home. So now, what operation are you jumping for now? Go jump, go jump uh, America, which go jump Vegas out in Gene. Okay, now that uh, I mean, Gene's had a, a pretty long history of skydiving, um, and a number of different people have owned that drop zone. So, is this the new drop zone after Eddie Carroll's? This is they they bought it from Eddie Carroll. Okay, so all stuff went transferred right from from Eddie to Go Jump. Well, if I mean, you looked it up on Facebook, it it goes right from Eddie to Go Jump. Okay, well, now without uh, without skipping ahead too far forward, you uh, um. You guys had the kind of the first operation was your family operation out in Gene, though, wasn't it? Well, we moved from North Las Vegas in 95. Uh, and Tom Canarozo owned the drop zone at that time. And my oldest brother, AJ, had an interest in it. He owned an, a 182 and Tom owned a 182. And they each owned half interest in a 411, hmm. in two 411s. So we moved from North Las Vegas to Gene with the false pretenses that we could land on the airport. And when we got out there, they said, well, you can't land on the airport here. Uh, but they got us out there in 95. And then I want to say 96, AJ acquired it from Tom. And yeah, it's been a, it, 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 we acquired a terrible lease that hmm. we weren't able to fulfill. So they threw us off the airport in I think 97 and we went out to Mesquite and then various people have been out there in June. Uh, open it up yeah it's i mean it's definitely uh, been a well-used airfield for for skydiving now how did you how did you initially get started in jumping well i made my first two static lines my oldest brother traded this old ford van to the local jump instructor he had about 100 my brother had about 100 jumps at the time and my mom had done a tandem and and uh, anyway he had traded this van to this instructor and didn't have enough money to pay for it so me and my little brother got our first two jumps uh for free and it was kind of a rite of passage uh 
there was no doubt I was going to do it. Right. My dad and brother had gone out to Pahrump, which was the nearest place to skydive. And I think it was 84 or 85 on Father's Day that my oldest brother and my dad went out and they made their first static line out in Pahrump. And then it just escalated from there. Dad ended up having, you know, 10 or 20 jumps, but was never really into it. Broke mm. his leg and didn't stick with it. AJ stuck with it. And so AJ's the oldest of seven kids, six boys, one girl. And me and my little brother were the last ones, with the exception of my sister, to, to get involved in it. Man, oh man. I mean, uh, um, I was introduced to you guys r- r- pretty much right at the very beginning of my career because I was working in uh, uh, the flyaway wind tunnel. And I don't even know how that first jump came about uh, out in Gene, but uh, your older brother was the first person ever to pay me to jump out of an airplane when I had no fucking business. <laughs> well, that's kind of his forte. Yeah, man. I think I had less than 100 jumps, way less than 100 jumps the first time I shot a tandem video. Uh, and it was uh, the drop zone was aptly named Outlaw Skydiving, which was fucking well, did perfect. You get, did you get the shot? Uh, damn right, I got the shot. <laughs> Good, good. AJ would have killed me. Oh yeah, he knew what he was doing. Then, (laughs) you know, it's kind of funny as we're talking. I still have the original Outlaw Skydiving T-shirt that AJ gave me almost 25 years ago, hanging about a foot away from me on the wall. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, I hung on to that for dear life. I mean, uh, I had so many memories, starting all the way back from North Las Vegas. North Las Vegas was fucking crazy back in the day. Well, that's what they always said, but it wasn't as crazy as maybe it it was portrayed by by Michael Hawks out there in Skydive Las Vegas. Yeah, um, well, there was there was quite a um, uh, I, I'll use the word rivalry, but it was a hell of a lot more than that between you guys. But I talked to you before the podcast. There's this huge, almost folklore about this story. If you were in that area of skydiving between Michael Hawks and kind of everybody else, and you got to tell me the Michael Hawks story. And for those that don't know, Michael Hawks used to be the owner and was the guy that started up uh, Skydive Las Vegas out of Boulder City. So what's what's what was so the he story? started out skydive. So Michael worked for for Tom Canarozzo, and it was a small operation. Uh, I wasn't in town; I was out of town living when it all went down. But Michael Hawks worked for, for Tom Canarozzo and you had Jim Fonsbeck and a couple other, and this was tandem in its absolute infancy. Hmm. Uh, there wasn't a lot of people around doing it. There certainly wasn't any tandems in Vegas. We learned static line and that's kind of how I progressed as hmm. I was a senior in high school. So I packed, packed static line parachutes and I think I had to pack eight static lines to get one jump. Hmm. But anyway, I had moved out of town Tom Canarozzo, uh, convicted felon for reasons that we don't need to go. A lot of reasons why skydivers become skydiving and have skydiving airplanes is for the same reason that Tom Canarozzo was a convicted felon. Fair enough. But so he opened up this drop zone and probably had two tandem rigs, a 182, uh, maybe two 182s, and Michael Hawks was one of his instructors. And I don't know what made Michael Hawks was a shit stirrer. So he had stirred enough shit where he was asked by Jim Fonsbeck to leave the drop zone to get mm. off the airport. 
he'd caused enough shit. But now Michael Hawks was sitting underneath a tree, and when Fonsbeck approached him, and he says, you're going to leave the drop zone, but if you stand up, I'm going to knock you down. <laughs> so Michael Hawks literally crawled from his spot under the tree to his car and drove to Boulder City, opened up the airport, or opened up his, his skydiving center in Boulder City. Yep. Yeah, I mean... So he had, there was some bad blood there to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it almost uh, uh, it almost seemed to me in in hearing the stories that Michael Hawks started Skydive Las Vegas out of spite because he was made to crawl away from his last drop zone. Yeah, maybe for whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, you know, everybody's motivation for opening a drop zone is different. Uh, if that was Michael Hawks' motivation, good for him because he did a good job. Sure, but so uh, there came a time where. Uh, Michael Hawks had his operation in Boulder City and Tom Canarozo had his operation in uh, at North Las Vegas and definitely bad blood. We were the outlaws and the outlaws kind of, well, we can talk about that later, but we were the outlaws for no real reason. Uh, it's kind of a cool emblem and uh, sure. cool shirts and you wear it and that was pretty much the extent of it. But Michael Hawks put such a bad light on what was going on in North Las Vegas. And it really got uncle Tom's, well, I call him uncle Tom now, but, uh, it all, it really got Tom's craw going. And so fast forward a year or two, a, a guy that Tom knew had been in business with before, not in the skydiving business in mm. the, in the business and why he was a convicted felon. Gotcha. Had got caught and he tries to make a deal. So he rolls over and he just starts making calls while being tapped by the FBI. So this guy calls Tom and he's on a wiretap and Tom doesn't know that. And he just, they're just shooting the shit and Hey, what are you doing? What's going on? What are you? Well, Tom says, well, I got this drop zone out in, out in Vegas and we're doing this and we're doing that. And it got brought up this douchebag out in Boulder city's making life miserable for me. And the guy says, well, maybe I could take care of that for you. And Tom goes, huh, what would that cost? (laughs) <laughs> and that was it that was it <laughs> but that was enough for the fbi well first of all tom was already in trouble for talking to his uh, being a convicted felon on parole he was already in trouble for even talking to this guy sure but him saying well how much would that cost well i mean because by the time it got to me um you know generations in skydiving later it was the you know this huge story about how michael hawks the one of the most hated dzo's ever to be in the sport had at one point had a hit put out on him and when you mix all the stories together it was somebody was trying to kill him he had to crawl away from the drop zone and all this stuff and so it became this huge story that for people like me that worked for hawks for a couple of years and there is no love lost between he and i it was just the funnest fucking story to hear <laughs> well it's fun and it's it's uh when you put it in reality it's really pretty disappointing but that's <laughs> what it was now whether michael really thought if anybody anybody that knows tom canarozo he's not going to give anybody any money to do something that he could do himself right so but tom canarozo he is he is uh 100 italian uh he's got that look about him and yeah maybe maybe michael thought that mob hit 
sound a little serious. Right, <laughs> right. Oh man, I, I don't think it. I don't think it ever was. No, no. Well, and we talked uh, pre-podcast too that I mean, uh, negative things aside, the fact of the matter is the Boulder City drop zone in Skydive Las Vegas was a super successful drop zone. I mean, holy shit, that place was fucking busy. It was, and we were pretty busy too. Uh, he marketed it a little bit better. He was definitely a better. I know Michael went and he must have gone to all the bellmen and anybody that you would run into the valet people, because even to this day, what, 30 some years later, there's a certain portion of bellmen and valet attendants of the old guys yeah. that will say, if you ask them, where do we want to go skydive? And they go Boulder city. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Even though there's no, there's no skydiving on Boulder city anymore. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he definitely solidified himself. City. Well, and it was, I remember when I started jumping in Las Vegas, because Boulder City was my my home drop zone, it's where I learned, Uh, and I remember the first time that I went and jumped in North Las Vegas and then came back, I got a rash of shit for having gone and jumped in North Las Vegas, because I crossed, you know, whatever imaginary line. That was, it was definitely an imaginary line made up by, by Michael Hawks. Yeah. And I had run into... A couple times I had gone out there because I needed some master rigging stuff done and saw Simon and Simon Wade and Mike Burgess and, hey, I'm from from North Las Vegas. And you just got the, <laughs> oh, God, how are you still alive? Right. And one time I was at Aramel's doing tandems for him and Robert Browning from from SLV was down there with yep. his four-way team. And, and he had gone to, who's this guy doing tandems? And as soon as he heard I was from Gene or North Las Vegas, he just kind of like, whatever. Yeah. And the funny story is, is about a year ago, because I still, I see Simon Wade two to five times a year, depending on what kind of stuff I need to get done. Hmm. And it, that got brought up. And I said, yeah, you know, there were some snide comments and some remarks and I'm not going to get into it. I just didn't, I just didn't care. I knew where it was. And he kind of apologized and hmm. he says, you know, I didn't like you. And I didn't like where you came from and I didn't like anything about you, but I didn't know why. Right. And I said, well, I know why I know why you had no clue. I, I absolutely didn't take it personal. Mm. I knew where it was coming from. Sure. And, I just didn't care. Think what you want. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I mean, for those of us that uh, uh, that started out and then ended up working for a long time in Boulder City, I mean, especially for somebody like me who was a super young skydiver, that was the fucking golden ticket. I mean, I was making a fortune shooting video. Yeah, you guys were definitely doing a lot better out there than we were. And I think that's the the management mentality. Michael Hawk certainly had a better a better mind. Sure. business and volume than than we did well and i definitely remember the uh, one of the the first time that i ever went to north las vegas i didn't have gear yet i was super low time and a guy i'm sure you probably remember jerry fox took me out there uh, so jerry and i go to jump and i had to rent gear and the gear that they had to rent were the old uh, uh white flying elvi rigs you remember those? yeah it was probably yeah it was probably i ended up with a few of those uh <laughs> The old old javelin, yep. J sevens probably with with big square reserves, and I say square reserves because I started out with a round reserve. Mm. But yeah, the big big mantas, probably an FXC or a Sentinel FXC AAD. <laughs> yeah, where you had to 
pull a pin or something. I think you pulled a pin and at, at some altitude, you pulled a pin and stuck it in your pocket. Yep. I'm not sure they knew. Now, at that time, I was probably, I came, moved back to Vegas in 90. I was looking at it this morning. I think, I can't remember if it was 94. I think it was 95, April of 95, because I was in storage in Nebraska for a different reason. <laughs> anyway, I'm when I moved back to to Vegas in 95, Tom had his business going. And that was the the student gear was yep. the old the old flying Elvi rigs. Oh man, it cracked me up because uh, um, they're putting this rig on me, and I had asked about the Cypress, and they point to this massive brick of a box that was on the leg strap, but nobody at the drop zone knew how to set the goddamn thing. So I I don't yeah, th- we used it. I'm sure we had it on there because we were supposed to right. have it on there, but <laughs> you know I don't know. Now, well, those those AADs are the reasons why. People didn't use AADs because sometimes they fired when they weren't supposed to. Yep. And sometimes they didn't fire when they were supposed to. And we kind of go, oh. Yep. Yep. Well, it was that same trip to uh, North Las Vegas that uh, I landed off. And for anybody that knew North Las Vegas back in the day, it was not a great neighborhood around the airport. Uh, like, not some place you'd want to just go strolling down the street. And I landed off in the middle of this rough neighborhood in a white RW suit with blue and pink grippers um, with no fucking clue where the hell I was thinking, yeah, this right. is not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we... we- we took off from North Las Vegas and then we landed kind of out at the base of Lone Mountain. Yep. But there was, I think it was six and a half miles. And to get across, back then the 95 was just a two lane road. Right. And so to get across it, you kind of go up and clear, 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 and then barrel across. Uh, I remember thinking I was going to see in the paper or on the, on the news that there had been eight skydivers killed in this fiery crash. <laughs> and it was going to be them coming back in the van trying to bolt across 95 back then. Right, for sure. Now, so, I mean, you kind of were at, almost at the beginning of all the skydiving in Vegas, specific, certainly the, all the working stuff. When did you decide you were going to work in the sport? I mean, did you do the whole fun jumper thing and travel a bunch? or? No, I didn't travel hardly at all. I made my first jump in 90, and I got about 100 jumps in my first about year and a half, and then I moved out of the state. Mm. And I was living in Nebraska, Western Nebraska, Eastern Nebraska. And I probably made total 50, then that's probably exaggerated, maybe 50 jumps in the next three years. But then I moved back to Vegas in 95 and went right into it, Mm. you know, as full board as I could. I didn't, I wasn't working yet, but I moved back to town. That's when I started my apprenticeship for this maintenance career. And it was always Everything I've ever done, it was how am I gonna, how am I gonna make enough money to skydive? Because mm. I I can't at this time, because I always had a house. I bought a house as quick as I could. I always had bills, and I was always going to be in Vegas. So how am I gonna support skydiving in Vegas? So I always had the maintenance job. Mm. But so it was ninety. I, I moved back in ninety five. Made I don't know fifty or sixty jumps that first six months. And that's when we started really taking off in Gene. It's probably about the time Michael Hawks was taken off in, in Boulder City. There was just a lot of tandems and too much work. So I got a fast track tandem rating. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have 500 jumps, and I'm going to stop short on saying how many jumps I really had. <laughs> but I'll, I will say that I was in the one room filling out paperwork with Ron Green, 
who was probably the most experienced tandem evaluator at that time, had come up from Skydive Arizona. And while I was doing paperwork with him, my logbook was being forged in the room next door. <laughs> but I tell you what, tandem scared the hell out of me for a long time. And yeah. I like to say you couldn't drive a needle up my ass with a sledgehammer for about my first two to 300 tandems. Cause I, I took it serious. And sure. it was, I knew, I knew it could go wrong. I didn't necessarily have the best influences around me. <laughs> uh, uh, so learning what to do and mostly what not to do. Sure. Uh, kept me on my toes. So that was 95 and I quick got a couple thousand tandems in those first few years at North Las Vegas and then out in Gene. Sure. And just went on there. I always wanted to be back skydiving where I could do tandems and then go do fun jumps. And, and that drops on we had in Gene was it because it was open from almost dawn till dusk and we jumped into the sunset and maybe sometimes some night loads technically. Sure. We just jumped all day, and so it wasn't unusual to do four or five tandems and four or five fun jumps all in one day. And I've been been pining to get back to that for shit thirty years now. Sure, and I haven't quite haven't quite got it yet. Well, I was lucky to be there for for um, when that was going on, and uh, when AJ still had the drop zone with you guys, and then when it went to uh, uh, was it Gravity Zone, um, and Gravity Zone tried to do some fun jump stuff too. Yeah, we were shut down, or we left. We left uh, Gene and went to Mesquite, and then AJ was killed in '99, and it wasn't long after that that uh, Gravity Zone opened up out in Gene. Sure, sure. And, you know, everybody opens up with with great intentions, and then there's never there's there's never tandem instructor. Right, right. So I ended up working for for Jason out there at Gravity Zone for quite a while. He tried. He didn't have the Vegas for years and years, and you've probably seen this because you've been around the, the country, certainly around the country and all around the world. Vegas always had that reputation of don't even bother bringing your if you're a fun jumper, don't even bother bringing your rig to Vegas. Sure, absolutely. Because you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to jump. Yeah. So uh, Jason tried to get around that at Gravity Zone and was never really able to to do it. Never really had the airplanes. Sure. Well, uh, and, and even the airfield back then, because I think uh, I was there for just the very tail end of being able to land on the airport um, when AJ still had the place. In fact, one of the last jumps that I did with AJ, um, I went out with Kevin Love and Galen, um, the fireman, to do that <laughs> that completely illegal high altitude uh, tandem out of the King Air with the transponder turned off. <laughs> Yeah, that was a funny story about that. So AJ had filed some lawsuits with the with the county, meaning we should be able to land on the airport. Right. And it went to the the FAA from San Francisco was going to do a report. So the, the the official from the FAA pulls up to the drop zone and it's cloudy. The clouds are about four thousand feet, and he pulls up to the drop zone and he hears the King Air cut, and then he looks up and he sees skydivers coming through the clouds and he got back in his car and left and never even walked in i mean we blew it we absolutely 100 percent blew our chance to be but we had temporary permission to land on the airport for sure for a few months until the investigation go through but faa guy shows up and we punch the cloud i mean not even not even we there's no way to to fudge that. I mean, I've done some cloud jumps where I can say, yeah, I could see the ground. Sure. Yeah. There's 
no way. <laughs> no way we could lie. And he, he totally blew his chance. Well, and the freaky part about that, too, is is uh, there's some pretty tall fucking hills, like, very close to that airport. <laughs> yeah, they're about four 4,000 feet. Yeah. Uh, they're not super close. They're close enough where uh, I know this year when we were getting all the fires from California that visibility was pretty low. And I'm asking the pilot, you can see this shit, right? <laughs> he says, yeah, I know where the, I know where the mountains are. Oh, like, well, because I can't see them. Man. Oh man. So, I mean, it's Vegas was a weird place. It really was. And you're right. I mean, if you asked the most Vegas fun jumpers where they fun jump, it's Paris or, or, uh, uh Scott of Arizona. Um, it just it's crazy for years, for years, I would see people in parachutists, you know, the parachutists from all around the world. And this skydiver from Vegas, like, I don't know that guy. And it's not a huge community. Right. Uh, I don't know that guy. Uh, Boulder City. I definitely know they don't know that guy. But right. This is a resident of Las Vegas that I don't even know. Well, because he jumps in Paris or skydive Arizona. They just didn't bother. Well, I mean, I think every jump I ever, every load I was ever on with you was a tandem load. Either I was shooting a video or I was taking a tandem. That just That's just what we did. Yeah, definitely. When, when, when AJ left, AJ was the last. And he left in 98, probably. Hmm. When, we, when we left, there's, and, and there's been several come in and try. I know Jason tried uh, at Gravity Zone. Uh, Mark Hogue came up and opened up a drop zone <laughs> right next door. We call it the Great Wall, the curtain between, because yep. it's one building. You put the curtain up, and we called it the Great Wall. Yep. Uh, Mark Hogue tried and and couldn't do it, and it's just, it's a hard, I don't know why it's so hard, because yeah. so many people in Vegas. I think it's the aircraft. We may be in a position now, but still, there's just so many tandems they try to do, and, and no one's ever going to bring the the plane airplane capacity to be able to do fun jumps and, and tandems. Yeah. Just tandem is still, is still prominent out here. Well, I mean, the only time that I remember um, much of any fun jumps going on were on the weekends when Hawks would start up that ancient uh, twin otter that he had. Um, and then, right. you, then you'd get fun loads, but that was Saturdays and Sundays only. Right. Right. Now go jump is, is doing as best they can, mm. but we were jumping a pack. And we can stick 17 people in that pack. Uh, and there's days where there's only three or four instructors. So there's definitely room there. Mm. But there's no organizing. There's no, there's none of that. Sure. Uh, it's going to be tough. We are landing on the airport again. Uh, and Gene, we got a pretty decent landing area. As decent as we're going to have in Vegas. <laughs> right. Some pea gravel and, and throw all the big rocks out. Uh, so now, how did you end up doing the Elvis stuff? So not only was there a conflict in drop zone owners between Michael Hawks and Tom Canarosa, <laughs> but in 1990 or 91, and I had, I had just moved away when this all went down. I came back and saw a bunch of the fireworks afterwards. Hmm. But so they did the movie Honeymoon in Vegas. Yep. And it started out with, uh, they approached Mark Masivic. And Mark Masivic was the owner of Americana Realty. Uh, he was the he was the lifeblood of skydiving in Las Vegas when I started and for a long time, uh, they approached him about this movie and he said, yeah, cause he had a, it was called into the fire skydiving exhibition team. And he had some really old timers, really good guys, but some old timers there, uh, that were doing it. 
And then it escalated from two skydivers to then it went up to 20. So mm. they do this movie, and now everybody wants these flying Elvises to come jump into their event, and they didn't exist. Right. So Mark Masivic did the best, did did a pretty good job. I don't know if he ever formed a 10-man team, but he had some guys, and one of the guys that he had jumping for him, Kelso Smith, was this a stagehand and knew this producer, and this producer, Dick Feeney, got involved somehow and could produce it and promote it and went on and they had, they had all done as far as I recall some stuff together. Hmm. And then I think some of the guys, cause Dick Feeney took a fee and he probably made a lot more money than any of the skydivers did. Sure. And of course at that time that irritated the shit out of the skydivers. So <laughs> it kind of broke off into to three. I want to think. No, I think it was Mark Masivic got hurt doing a jump for Dick Feeney. So when Mark got hurt, Mark got outmaneuvered by an Oldsmobile <laughs> and probably should have died, but he didn't. Uh, it was for, a, I think, a, a rehab center, and there happened to be a bunch of brain surgeons on scene. So he hit this with the Sabre 150, hit this side, hit this fender of this car and face planted on it and probably should have died, but he lived and he's alive to this day. I saw him about a year and a half ago. Hmm. Uh, but once he was gone out of the picture, now who's going to take the lead? He owned the airplanes. Uh, he owned different stuff, but then it formed into several different factions. The <laughs> end of the fire guys were probably not going to do a lot. Dick Feeney was trying to do a lot. Uh, Jim Fonsbeck, and I did a couple jumps for Jim Fonsbeck as Elvis in a couple different minor league baseball stadiums. And it was go to a costume store and rent a costume <laughs> and go and do this jump. I don't remember ever being paid for anything I did for Fonsbeck, but we had a lot of fun. Sure. And so, but the real team was Dick Feeney and a lot of the, some, about half the guys from the movie didn't go with Dick and half of them did. Rick Moffat was one that went with, with Mott, with, Dick Feeney and I wasn't their first choice. They had lost some guys or missed some guys. And so I guess I had a bad reputation as having a pretty bad temper. So I wasn't their first choice, okay. but the guy that they picked before me ended up landing on the tarmac in front of this airplane that was taxiing. So Jeez. they had to throw him off. And so I got, I got the end Jeez. and it was, it was honestly, it was, it was that time where, Three of the guys had gone to Boston to do a jump, and it was three of the, the guides from the movie. And then I remember about that same – it wasn't too many weekends after that. Me and AJ had gone with Fonsbeck to do this other demo. Mm. Well, the guys that had gone to Boston, three of the guys from Vegas, and then they hired a, a local guy to spot because they're spotting on this pier. Mm. And it's at night, and they spotted the wrong pier. The guy <laughs> totally blew it. Two guys landed in the water, and – we're fine. Uh, one guy, I'm not going to name names because I really got a lot of respect for the guy, but he landed in this, he went for the land and made the land and the guy followed him. And I go, well, that's your first mistake is following this guy. Right. Well, the one guy hits the land and he broke his back <laughs> and the other guy that followed him, it was landing pretty high grass. He tripped and smacked his face on a rock or a railroad tie. He died. And so, and I remember talking to the guy that broke his back and he's laying there and, and looking in the bed next to him. And he knows the guy's dead. They're keeping him on life support for, 
for organ donor reasons, but sure. this guy's dead. But so that that was some some bad blood, even just within the flying Elvi. Wow. So anyway, I made my first I made my first flying Elvi trip to it was ninety seven. We went to Kansas City, Missouri, and we ended up not jumping. But mm. I was roommates with Bruce Henderson, <laughs> who hated everybody from North Las Vegas, and I really liked Bruce a lot. I don't know. We took a liking to each other, sure. and it was just uh, he had a lot more jumps than I did. I was like I looked up to him a lot. We didn't end up jumping that day or that trip, but that was my first. Uh, oh, dude, my flying Elvi trip. Well, Bruce was my AFF instructor, so he took me on my first tandem, and then he was my AFF instructor through to my A license. And then, of course, years later, I ended up uh, shooting video for him chucking drogues when he would come out and, and uh, do tandems every once in a while. And he was, I mean, especially when you're starting out, that guy was my fucking hero because he's this really good-looking, suave guy that he's getting all the ladies and he's jumping out of airplanes and he's a damn good skydiver. And Bruce was right. a, he was a fucking rock star. I almost thought he put on makeup <laughs> just because he always looked good. Yeah, he did. He and I saw him at his worst. And he goes... <laughs> We're on a trip in Green Bay, and he's throwing up in this toilet. And we've got to go do this show, and he's drunk <laughs> and puking in this toilet. And I'm rubbing his back, going, "Man, we gotta go, we gotta go." But he still looked good. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, he. He did the 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 funniest story that I ever had, and I'm sure you were either there or remember the uh, Today Show story. Was it Today Show? The one where he uh, apparently yeah he, he was. That was literally months before I got onto the team, but yeah, I heard I heard all about it. his boss. His I think his eighth or ninth grandma had passed away, so he was going to the funeral, and uh, he was on the Today Show. Yeah, I think he landed. I think they were in Memphis, landing in Elvis's old neighborhood, and it was a bad spot. And they land, and there's some gunshots, and the cops pull up, and it's like, "Get in the car, get in the car, you got to get out of here." Right. And so they, but, but yeah, there he was on Good Morning America. I mean, uh, talk about an amazing way to get busted out for uh, playing hooky at work as your boss tunes in. Well, what do in. you do? You're like, you got me. Yeah, you got me. You got me. He always struck me as the, the uh, uh, to, I, I guess to uh, talk about a show from back then, he was the Sam Malone of skydiving to me. He was just that, you know, wise um, guy that knew absolutely everything you needed to know and, and just it was super smooth about all of it. He just cracked me up. Right. But was always kind of a fuck up too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean. Well, I mean, that kind of goes with the territory though, right? I mean, uh, the Flying sure. Elvi, I've known a lot of the Flying Elvi now, and um, I think more than anything, you guys, I mean, besides being a really successful demo team, you guys were just having a fuckload of fun. That's why I did it. Yeah. I just, I had a lot of fun. I tried to keep it, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't ever jump small canopies, uh, they were still demos and I took them serious, but yeah, they were road trips and they were a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, but you know, one of the, 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 the things that I remember most, especially about my time in Vegas and, and when I would be jumping with you was that you seemed to have just as much fun doing a tandem as I always figured you were on a road trip. You had such a, um, 
such a dry sense of humor that it took me actually quite a while to realize when you were fucking around because uh, you'd just say shit that I'd scratch my head and then I'd end up laughing because you just slide in these great shots all the time. Uh, the other day at, at, at Go John, I said something and they're like, shit, we've known you for, for how many years and we haven't heard that one yet. So yeah, I still can can pull some shit out of the, oh, out of the bag. It's the same way. It's the same way. And I think it, it, it comes from, I was just so super shy in high school mm. and never had a lot of girlfriends. Uh, but then I come out and I start doing these sandals and I come out of my shell and I kind of see how far I can go. <laughs> there has been some times where I've gone a little bit too far sure. and had to write an apology letter. <laughs> and uh, Oh wait, uh, you, come on. you gotta, you gotta give me a, an example. Oh, this, so we're, it was, it was at Vegas extreme. And this fat slob had come out, but his girlfriend is jumping. And, of course, she – it was pretty clear. She didn't want anything to do with him. Right. Uh, she was paying for his way. And so we go and we do this tandem. We're just hitting it off. You know, I'm married 22 years. I never – I don't divulge into that. But I'll go right up to the edge of that. Right. I'll flirt, and, and we get along, and we're having a great time, and, and – uh, after we land, uh, I go, well, just so you know, after this jump, you might be pregnant. And he was fucking pissed because I, he had no shot anymore. Right. He probably never had a shot in right. the beginning, but now he, and he's pissed. So Eddie, Eddie calls me. It's like, you got it. So I wrote this apology letter, how we had gone. I, I said some things that I regret and I'm sorry if anybody took offense to, to what I said, but I'm just, I was just being mean. And, sure. And well, that happens about once or once or twice a year where I probably went, I mean, I probably go too far a little more than, than I get busted on, but a sure. few times I go far enough where shit. And I really got to say, I'm sorry. Right. Right. Well, I think, um, neither of us really were working in the, uh, skydiving industry when the whole politically correct, way of behaving came around. Skydiving was always kind of where you went to act the fool and do it the way you wanted to. So when everybody started being very politically correct, it caught people like you and me a little off guard. Well, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Sometimes I'll say something just to see if, if my students pay attention. Cause if I say something that you should be offended by, and you're not kind of a little bit offended by it. And I, I think I can say that because I can work my way through that. Sure. I mean, I'm not, I'm not calling anybody a racist or, or, a, 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 about, I mean, I'll talk about race issues, but not, uh, I just say things to, to see if they're, to see if they're sure. listening. Sure. Uh, uh, well, and so, and most of the time they're not paying attention anyway, but if they say, like, well, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm just, sure. Uh, when I, when we started chatting on uh, Facebook again, you reminded me of something that you said to me, I guess it was 17 years ago when you were showing me pictures of your son doing what his hundredth jump. He did. He's got about 80 some jumps now. No, I think I said, I think it was the first, we had just started uh, chatting on Facebook and it's yeah. like, yeah, it's been a long time. I remember introducing my son and we were in a, I had him in a baby carrier and I was working for Gravity Zone, and you were working for Eddie and Dale out there. Uh, same drop zone. It's like here's here's my fuck trophy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, did good, right? 
Yeah. But, well, and it was it wasn't just the fact that you called him a fuck trophy while you're holding him in his little bassinet. It's the way you said it cuz you just said it so casually like it was, yeah, this is my kid. <laughs> it's so it good. Probably wasn't the first time I introduced him that way. Probably not. That's pretty proud. Probably not. That's I mean it just, I remember being, thinking that that was just the funniest fucking thing ever. And then that just kept on going. But that was a fun vibe out there when we got to kind of, kind of push those lines a little bit, which you don't get to do, I don't think, quite as much now. Oh, I, I, I still talk and I've still got the same spiel. Uh, Vegas is so weird in that we're not training people out of skydive. It, right. it come out here, you try to, I always look at it. Honestly, I'm working the tips. And if I can can break a barrier and get you to chuckle a little bit and think about some things a little bit more seriously, not the skydive, but sure. race things or political things, or I can say things about your, your, your sports team or whatever. If I can say that and we can have that banner back and forth, I'm working on my tip. Sure. And it's a little bit better. In the end, it's selfish because if I get you to relax a little bit more, it makes my job that much easier. And you're sure. going to enjoy it a lot more. Of course. Now I've overstepped my bounds a couple times, and the person absolutely hated me and was offended by what I said. But I've well, got, I don't know, seventeen, eighteen thousand tandems, and it's happened half a dozen times. Sure, so. sure. Well, and there's a few that I look back on where I know I took things a little bit too far, and and you'd get back in that banter back and forth. I had a buddy of mine in the um, the Bay Area, and we would always joke back and forth. And this particular day, uh, we got on telling just this horrible round of gay jokes. And you know how it it's uh, who can tell the most offensive joke. And we're just fucking around, but didn't realize that our two male passengers were a couple. Uh, so right. I, look, I look back on that one and I feel so bad because they don't realize I'm just telling jokes. I'm just fucking around. And it was so offensive. And, of course, now I look back and go, oh, Jesus. <laughs> but Well, that's that's probably one aspect of, of the customers that I've changed. And I've I've embraced it. Mm. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of gag with the girls. I'll gag with the guy, you know, as much. Everybody's the same to me. Sure. Black, white, fat, skinny. For sure. Uh, For sure. I try to I try to be as receptive to everything as I can. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I always knew I always knew someone was gay when and it's Murphy's Law, 100 percent, where when I go to hook someone up, the guy next to me, Brad Doherty, super great guy, Australian, who never really said a lot of stuff like that. But I'm hooking this guy up and he goes, man, that's so gay. And I'm like, you haven't never said that to me. And it just so happens that this guy is gay. I don't know how you don't know that, but I I knew that was like the, the absolute fact that, you know, this guy is gay because Brad said something about it. Yeah. The worst time. Well, and it is Murphy's law. It really is. And especially like in a town like Las Vegas and you had mentioned tips, man, I've never worked at any drop zone, like any drop zone in Las Vegas, the tips, in Vegas, jumping can be better than for the, your salary. Yeah, yeah. There were guys in, in Boulder City who wouldn't cash their checks because they were doing well enough on their tips where... I'd forget. You, don't, you didn't need it. Yeah. You didn't need it. 
Well, we had uh, um, Hawks had greased the wheels with uh, the Japanese tourist group, so the buses of the Japanese tourists would come out, and the guy that led the tour groups was kind of getting uh, some on the backside. So he was telling all his passengers um, that it was uh, it was a very honorable thing to tip your cameraman and your tandem instructor right. at least this much. So you'd see the, yeah. the bus of Japanese tourists come on up, and you knew, I'm going to get 20 bucks from every person. And I jump with, and I'm going to do 10 jumps today. Yeah. Yeah. Trek America was awesome. Yeah. Uh, there were a couple other tour groups that were great because these guys, we gave him such a good deal. And I think geez, back in the day, we would charge, we would charge the Trek meter one forty nine, and he mm. could charge whatever he wanted. Sure. And he just had to communicate with us. How much do you want us to charge? So we had charged one sixty nine. And we're kicking him back twenty bucks for each tandem. Oh yeah, and they were given, they were tipping the instructor twenty bucks too. Oh yeah, well, I mean that's so, kind of. Yeah. I, I think you almost expect that when you go to Vegas. And I mean the the tandems weren't that expensive in the first place. They were definitely getting you know um, their money's worth for sure. Right, right. Now fast forward to Groupon, oh. where they're getting a great deal and they don't tip and they don't buy videos and they honestly don't even want to deal with you. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to, yeah. it's like you're bothering them. I yeah. know, it's kind of weird. Groupon is, is, uh, well, I don't. Groupon yeah. was a horrible thing for a lot of drop zones, though, because they people would start these Groupon battles between places where there were multiple drop zones in a small area, and the prices would get so low that the drop zone wasn't fucking clearing their operating costs. Right. Every Groupon deal is a little bit different. Uh, I think when Sin City, Brad Wedge, did his Groupon, I think he charged 149 but he was only getting 99 Right. They'd sell hundred. He'd they'd sell hundred Groupons, and he got his ninety nine bucks. Yeah. He, you know he'd have fifteen twenty thousand dollar check from Groupon in his pocket. But now he's got to do the tandems. Sure. And I was really surprised how many people just didn't show up. I figure you know for a ten dollar nail salon, maybe you don't show up. Yeah. But for a hundred hundred fifty nine dollar tandem, I would have thought a lot more people showed up. But he still only had eighty percent of the people show up to. Wow. To wow. get those group on. That's the only way he made any money. Because he's not making any money doing tandem for ninety nine bucks. No. God, I had forgotten that he even he even tried to start a drop zone out there, man. That's there's been so many different people give it a shot. Well, there you go. Michael Hawks' stated mission was to spite Tom Canarozo. Brad Wedge's stated goal was to put Eddie Carroll out of business. So, Which he, yeah, he no, he failed miserably on that. <laughs> that was, uh, but I think everybody saw that one coming. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I mean, well, right. Eddie Carroll was uh, probably um, him, and and he started it with uh, Dale Hinton. Uh, that was yep. probably the most successful drop zone ever to see Gene. I mean, they were just cranking them out. Oh, hands down, and even I think to this day is. Definitely not for fun jumping, but mm. his business monster. He they went from what two tandem rigs in a van, and you guys used to dub your dub your videos on a VHS tape in yep. the van on the way back from the yep. the drops onto the airport. That was when I was working for at Gravity Zone, and you guys were out in the yep. in the grass 
and and uh, and even that it was it was fun times. I mean, uh, um, except for the um, it, the pilot for the opposing um, team when I was out there with Eddie and we got in the brawl in the men's room. <laughs> oh, do you remember that? The, yeah, yeah. So I was in I was in uh, I was doing a state record down in Laughlin. Yeah, and I got a call from Chris Nunn that Dale had punched this pilot in the in the bathroom and i go well he's dead then because if dale punched him he's dead right well dale didn't have anything to do with it because if dale hit him the guy would have been yeah absolutely dead. no that was me but I, what was it you and did you and Derek hit him no and eddie was... came in and while the guy was on the ground eddie eddie yeah <laughs> he uh, uh and that the... was the only mark he had you guys you guys didn't mark him up at all. No, but while he was on the ground, not at all. Stomped on his head and made a mark in his head. What was funny because he, I mean, there was this huge rivalry going on, and I happened to be in the bathroom on my own, and he came in and started talking shit, and uh, um, he ended up flicking water on me or something, and so I just punched him in the gut and dropped him down that way. But he was trying to get me to fight him because they right. wanted they wanted a reason to be able to call the cops. Um, yeah, that was. I hated that. I was, I was, I was working at gravity zone when that all went down. Yep. I hated it. I never, ever saw the reason for it. No reason. Why do we have to, wouldn't it be easier to just get along here and yeah. you do your jumps and we'll do our jumps. Yeah. That's you what guys I thought. Taking all the strippers. We didn't have any fun. <laughs> you guys were having all the fun, but. Well, whatever. I suppose, uh, um, I kind of had the pipeline on getting strippers out to skydive. So it made it a little easier. Right. <laughs> right. But yeah, that, that the brawl happened in the bathroom, and then when I went out of the bathroom, I think that pilot he realized, well, shit, it was a one-on-one fight and nobody saw it, so we can't do anything. And so he came back outside and started more, and that's when he ended up on the ground, and and Eddie was kicking him and shit. Right, right, and Eddie's the only one that left the mark. Yeah, so I, I know it. And well, it, and then we all had to run to the the police department right there in Gene, and and uh, I think everybody had a fucking um, restraining on order and on everybody else. So it was. So... I don't. I don't remember how that that was the end of Gravity Zone, yeah. and uh, Eddie took over their spot in the building. But uh, oh man. Uh, I mean, a lot of shit has gone down in Vegas, which is so funny that that uh, um, there's so much skydiving history in a town that is really not known for skydiving. No, like we said, everybody goes goes everywhere else. January first, uh, I went to took my son to Paris to go sky to go fun jump because yep. I knew we weren't going to be fun jumping in Vegas. Yep. So, and, and it's mostly my fault. I can't go to the drop zone where I work and just say no. Sure. So I wanted to jump with my kids. So we went to Paris and made five jumps on January 1st. And Well, I mean, and, and I mean, oh. to have a drop zone like Paris two hours away is pretty epic. I mean, that's where uh, Mary Tortomasi and I did all our training for sky surfing stuff. That was uh, all my firsts really outside of uh, learning how to sky. I've happened in Paris. My first cutaway, my first broken bone, right. you know, all, right. the, all the silly shit. So, you know, I always heard that, that Paris was so clicky. You don't want to go there. And I went there and yeah, I see the clicks, but I didn't, I didn't feel any adverse effects from it. I was, I was impressed with the, how much better has it got to be? You've got grass and four twin otters and three sky bands. Right. Oh, what what a terrible place. 
Well, I used to love it so, when you would go down there to jump and, and occasionally a Paris jumper would see your canopy opening and ask what you were putting in your parachute to get all the... The, the best. <laughs> and you're like, no, nah, it's just my fucking landing area. <laughs> right, right. That's the desert. I mean, it'd take a thousand jumps off of all your gear and you'd just be permanently covered in dust. All the time. Yeah. All the time. So what's uh, what's the future of, uh, of Vegas now and the drop zones and, and the Elvi and all that? Is there still more to come? I'm sure there is. The Elvi are kind of a dying breed. We need to do another movie or have something happen. Mm. Uh, we were in Memphis a couple years ago, and I was looking around at the table, and I thought, you know, 25 years ago, I was 22 years old and the youngest guy on this team, and I'm still the youngest guy on this team, and I'm 47. <laughs> so we've got some problems here and we don't, we don't do anything. We don't do crew. As far as demo teams go, we don't do shit. Right. I mean, most, <laughs> some of <laughs> some of them can't even stand up their landings anymore if they can hit the target. And, uh, you know, one or two demos, a uh, jumps is all they do a year. And, uh, I mean, those two, so we need to, those sound like amazing reasons to come watch a demo skydive. <laughs> well, for us, <laughs> Not for the general public. No, I don't think the general public would like it at all. But that just sounds fucking entertaining as hell to me. <laughs> we we did a we did a jump a few years ago into the South Point. And it was for a Jerry Lewis telethon, and one of the guys, Rick Moffat, dressed up like Jerry Lewis. Right. And he comes in and he lands and he flips all falls all over himself and he gets up and then he goes and meets Jerry Lewis and Jerry Lewis is like. That was awesome. That's just what I would have done. I wouldn't have landed like that. I'd have fallen over myself, and that was great acting. It's like, no, that's just how Rick lands. He wasn't acting at all. <laughs> that's pretty fucking funny, man. Well, I'll tell you what, though. Considering that team started basically on a whim off of a not-so-great comedy movie, what a fucking ride that team has gotten. I mean, that's the got to be the longest-running demo team in skydiving, isn't it? Yeah, I don't do a lot of history, but... Uh, it has to be at, with the exception of the golden Knights. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. Well, shit 30 years now. Yeah. I mean, and to be Been around a long time. Well, and the, the one and only jump that I got to do with, uh, um, the flying Elvi I did cause, um, uh, Eddie Carroll, when I was working for him, had me do that goddamn TLC's a dating story, uh, where the, the show set me up with a, a local DJ, uh, and they didn't think that a skydive was exciting enough, so they sent half of the team out to to build a round on my tandem. Okay. Yeah, and that's the only time I ever – and they made us land in the middle of the damn dry lake bed. I remember that. Yeah. I was still – I was probably gravity zone. I remember Chris Nunn was probably flying a caravan. Yep. Landing on the lake bed. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it was. And it, it uh, we jumped out of the caravan. He did a low pass. And uh, um, their their whole date was they took us to fucking Arby's or something in a limousine. And then I took her on a skydive. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That's one for your logbook, right? Yeah, right. So now you're still you're good. still uh, checking drogues in Mesquite or? I'm in Gene. I'm in Go Jump, Las Vegas, and, uh, in Gene. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, – Five days a week, yeah. And you said they're working towards trying to um, slowly build up uh, uh, some fun jumping and, and maybe get a more active drop zone? They've got a phenomenal student training program. Awesome. And they've probably put out 20 to twenty to 30 students in the two years they've been open. Okay. Uh, they're trying to find that 
that line of uh, building a fun jumper base and then having a tandem base too. And sure. they don't quite have it dialed in. So it's tough to dial it in. I don't know how you build something like that. Paris can do something like that. All these drops on can do something like that. Sure. With the airplanes and landing on the airport and just being able to do that. And we don't have the logistics right now. Sure. To, to get that on well here's hoping we're but, working on it yeah well i mean regardless i know damn well it's it's still probably one of the busiest uh cities in the country if not the world for for tandems i mean it's the numbers that go through that city are crazy yeah and there's room for there's room for everybody yeah. years ago when when slv had shut down uh and eddie was the only only guy there he he hated it yeah he was answering the phone, had more work. I think he had, you might've been out there at the time. I was, I was, uh, at SLV working mm. for Brent Buckner, who yep. was Michael Hawk's predecessor. Yeah. Uh, and talking to Eddie after there needs to be two to three drop zones in, in Vegas just to handle that volume. Oh yeah. Now, is there still a, a, a lot of uh, call for tandem instructors out there? Is, is there always a need? There's always a need, uh, the conditions out here are just not favorable. You have dust devils and a lot of experienced sand instructors won't come out here and jump just because the environment and uh, sure. the dust devils. And we try to be done by noon or one o'clock just because it gets, it gets turbulent and shitty. Sure. And I don't remember it being that way when we were out in Gene with AJ, we just jumped all day. Sure. I don't remember. I don't remember thinking about the, maybe I was young and didn't care and bones healed. Probably and part of it. A lot more about it now. Yeah, well, I think uh, the fact that I started doing everything in Vegas, shooting video and then going to tandem there, I never knew any better. So when I started to travel, I just thought all these other places were fucking amazing. Like, oh, my God, the the wind's what? only hitting 10 to 12. It's it's not 25 in a dust storm and you're still jumping. Right, right. And so my kid's learning out here. He's 18 years old, still in high school. And then talking to my nephew about it. We learned to jump in this stuff, yeah. so we don't even think twice about it. Yeah. We don't realize how bad it was until a guy with a, a professional swooper with 20,000 jumps comes in and goes, man, this sucks. <laughs> like, really? I don't not that bad. I remember when uh, when Mary and I competed in the 98 Nationals, the first day we went on a weather hold because it hit, I think it was like 10 miles an hour or something like that was the limit for the competition. And both Mary and I are like, are, are you fucking wow. kidding me? We don't, I've you never jumped in less time. than 10. Right. <laughs> like I've, I've never, I don't think I've ever jumped without at least 10 miles an hour. Win. So yeah, I suppose it's just all in what you train and what you get used to. Right, right. Well, so uh, as we wrap things up, what's the uh, what's the website for the Drop Zone so people can go and for any tandem instructors that are interested out there, some information so they can follow up if they want to come join you. It's Go Jump America, and and they've got Drop Zones in Oceanside and Santa Cruz also. Oh, awesome! But I think they're looking. Yeah, they're uh, so we've got plenty of gear, plenty of great airplanes, uh, good 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 management, good crews. Fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, hit them up, and, and just for everybody knows, bring your bring your sport rig to Vegas because now you got a place you can jump in. Fuck yes! So uh, awesome for years and years. <laughs> you see the guys rolling and they got their sport rig. I go, you need to ask around your drop zone because you're wasting your time bringing your sport rig to Vegas because right. you're just not jumping. But that's not the case anymore. We've got a we're building a base, and the base is getting better every day as far as fun jumpers coming out here and and shit. There was a load. What day was it? Saturday. I had done 
eight tandems and my kid was there and he's like, well, I got you on the last load. It's a fun jump load. We just did some BFR and that was a lot of fun. So awesome. I, all these years, finally looking for it and it's not there yet, but sure. did a, a load with just 11 people, 11 fun jumpers in the pack at the, the last load of the day. Still, awesome. man. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that it's starting to shape up. And you're right. Uh, I think Vegas is uh, has always been ripe for a proper drop zone. So hopefully you guys manage to get it there. I hope so. All right. But hey, Brian, thank you so much for taking your time, man. This has been a bit of a trip down memory lane for me for sure because um, you and your family and all have been in my entire skydiving career since day one. So, again, thank you so much. Yeah, you got time for one quick funny story? Please, please, fire away. So we did we were we were going out to Boulder City to do a, a, a jump with the flying Elvi, but we were practicing the Santa suits. So we had we're gonna do the flying Santas. Right. Now to land on the airport in SLV, I think you needed a C license. Yeah. Now I had just started dating my wife. Uh, she had about fifty jumps. So the local S and T A uh, forged her paperwork so that she could come out and be on the otter with us sure. uh, to do these jumps. And it was fun. But so she's, she's nervous. I was just looking at her logbook the other day and it was jump 51 and 52 for her. So we go out there and we're in our Santa suit and she's doing a, a jump with a, with a friend of hers, but we get sat in the plane and who does she get sat next to? Michael Hawks. <laughs> And Michael Hawks is extremely chatty with her. Where do you jump? You should really wear a helmet, seatbelt. Now, what Michael Hawks didn't know is that Susan is the niece of Tom Canarozzo. (laughs) So not only did we forge all this paperwork, but now you're sitting down next to the... (laughs) And Susan was just, you know Susan. She's just... It just nervous as shit and didn't know what to say or how to say it. And it was just, uh, did it all come full circle now that you're sitting down next to the niece of the, the man who had the hit out on you. <laughs> Which is just so perfect. The whole thing is so perfect. And I've told people some of the random stories out of Vegas. And I don't think, you know, you get that look on people's faces when you're telling a story that you clearly tell they don't believe a fucking thing you're saying. That's pretty much every story I have about Vegas. Right. And I don't know if that's different from every drop zone you go to because they've all got stories. But we've got some pretty good ones. Yeah. And yeah. we haven't even scratched the surface. No, yet. no. I was just about to say we're going to have to have a round two because uh, if you're like everybody else I've had on the podcast, the minute that we stop talking, you're going to have like 50 stories jump in your head. So start taking well, I mean, notes. I've been thinking about them a long time. So if you want to do it again, we can talk about the origin of the outlaws. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, so, uh, especially being able to talk about the outlaws and stuff. I mean, the bottom line is I owe AJ the beginning of my skydiving career because, quite frankly, if he hadn't given me a shot, I may not have pursued it. Uh, and he did it in a very AJ way. You know, it was, uh, right. yep, you can do this, just don't fuck it up. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And right. it was great. It was fantastic. So, yes, we'll, we'll go round two and we'll talk about exactly that. Sounds good, friend. All right. Brian, take care. All right, as always, thanks for joining on another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you, as always, by the greatest magazine in the known universe. Head to blueskiesmag.com to check it out. Also brought to you by the Extreme Sports Collective, 
pussfoot.com and summitparachutesystems.com where you've got Jarrett Martin building amazing pilot rigs and giving some kick-ass rigging courses. As for me, I am the fucking pilot. Head to theprincesspilot.com to get links to all the podcasts as well as both the books. We'll see you next time.